On Sunday mornings for the last uh, little while now, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've been looking at the fact that the church there was sent by God with a very important message. And that message is just as vibrant and important today, and it's our message. And just as they were sent, we are a people who are sent. Now, it may be that you're sent to go elsewhere, or it may be that you're here right now because this is exactly where God wants you to be. This is where you have been sent. The job you have is the job you have because it's the exact job where God wants you to be. He wants you to be around those people, the, the neighbors you have, the family that you have. You may be right where you are because God has sent you there. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at obstacles that over and over and over again seem to appear before the church and they often come from unexpected places sometimes they come from within their own sinful hearts sometimes they come from outside forces like uh, persecution or just ridicule we see all sorts of problems arise from every direction imaginable but one of the incredible things about the story of God is that obstacles don't seem to stop him God is able to overcome Today is a special day because we're gathered together, like we do every first day of the week, to remember Christ, to fellowship and encourage one another, to praise and glorify God. But today we are doing so with a particular emphasis. We are focusing on the resurrection of Jesus, and I think that there's tremendous value in that. I think there's tremendous value in that because when you talk about the story of Acts, when you talk about the story of the church, when you talk about overcoming obstacles, there is no obstacle that has caused more pain, grief, devastation, heartache, loss, mourning than death. Death is God's enemy. This is how it's described in the Bible. It's the last enemy. It's the enemy that God plans to destroy. And we saw the fate of death sealed about 2,000 years ago in a tomb near Jerusalem, when Jesus conquered death and emerged from the tomb alive forevermore, thus giving us hope that no matter what the obstacle is, whether it's small or whether it is death itself and the powers of death and darkness and sin, they cannot stand before our God. That's what today is about. It's about the hope that we have through Jesus that cannot be found anywhere else, that death is not going to win. Jesus instead is the victor. The book of Acts makes absolutely zero sense if you have not read the Gospel of Luke, particularly the story of the resurrection. Acts, there's no story to continue on without the resurrection of Jesus. The story of the early church and the story of our lives makes zero sense if there is no resurrection. That's why Paul can say things like, if there's no resurrection from the dead, we're the most foolish people of all. You know, we're to be pitied among all. We're still in our sins. Our, our, I mean, everything that we're doing, like the apostles, they're all false prophets and teachers. Like, there's no value or concrete reason for anything that we're doing. There's no reason to suffer for the sake of the kingdom if there is no resurrection from the dead. Guess what? You chose the wrong kingdom if there's no resurrection from the dead. Find a better one. Find a different one. Find a Messiah that, that doesn't get crucified if there's no resurrection from the dead. Go find yourself a Messiah who can overthrow his enemies, get himself a nice fancy crown, and get a bunch of riches. That's a better looking kingdom than one that you have to suffer and die to be a part of. Why in the world would you choose a kingdom where the least is first and the first is last and all of that stuff? Well, for us, it's because there's hope that even though in this life things might look upside down, backwards, and hard, 
there is ultimate victory found in God through the resurrection. But if there is no resurrection, then what are we about? We're wasting our times, and we should probably go fishing. You know, like there's, there's something else that we could be doing right now. The book of Acts, the suffering, the overcoming, the travel, the message, it only and wholly and entirely depends on a living, risen, saving Savior. That's who Jesus is. That's why we have hope and confidence in our story. And that's why we can overcome, no matter the enemy that stands before us, even death itself. I say all of that to say this. Um, when it comes to this story, <laughs> there's not a lot you can say that hasn't been said before. And if you find yourself saying something that hasn't been said before, be careful. You're probably saying something wrong. Um, sometimes there's this desire uh, to, like, People come to church on Easter Sunday. You want to do the best job that's ever been done. You want to say something that, you know, is going to, like, blow people's minds. Um, but the power of the gospel is in the story of the gospel, and it doesn't always have to be a new story. In fact, sometimes hearing the story of the gospel as simply as the Bible tells it is just absolutely the most powerful and important and transformative message you could hear in your whole life. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is no ordinary miracle. I think sometimes uh, maybe we don't know why. Like Jesus does a bunch of miracles. He raises a bunch of people from the dead. Even before Jesus, other people do miracles. Even before Jesus, other folks raise people from the dead. Elijah and Elisha, they rose people from the dead. Jesus raises quite a few people from the dead. Why is it that the book of Acts and our hope and everything that I just said in that, that little introduction, why is it that all of that stuff hinges around the resurrection of Jesus rather than one of those other people being raised? What about Lazarus? You know, he came back. What about, uh, what about all the other miracles that Jesus does that are super incredible, like walking on water for crying out loud, or, or the initial creation of like, the heavens and the earth themselves? That's pretty powerful. You know, like creating human beings out of the dust of the earth. That's pretty cool. Uh, like there are so many miracles you can look back to that are really, really important. Feeding of the 5,000 or turning water into wine or, or healing all of these people or casting out demons, thus demonstrating the power of God over the forces of darkness. Like why is it that we focus on this one? And there is a good reason for that. We're not just uh, like picking and choosing here. Paul says things like, if the resurrection doesn't happen, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we are of all people most pitied. He doesn't say things like, if there is no feeding of the 5,000, we are of all people most pitied. Or if, if the walls of Jericho didn't come a-tumbling down, we are of all people most pitied. He seems to place very specific and important uh, essential value on the resurrection. And I think the reason why is because the resurrection isn't just an ordinary miracle. It's not just a demonstration of the power of God. He's demonstrated his power many, many times. People didn't need God to, to raise Jesus from the dead to prove that he could. People knew God could raise the dead. Uh, if you can create the cosmos by speaking words, if you can create life, I mean, God could do that. The resurrection of Jesus isn't needed for that purpose. What separates the resurrection of Jesus from anything and everything else is that the resurrection of Jesus 
actually is the launching project of a whole new world, a whole new way of living, a whole new existence. And it starts with the resurrection of Jesus. And I think the best way to think of it is to think of two different worlds. Think of a world that God created, that we love and that we live in, and that's beautiful, and, and where the first person God made was Adam. And Adam, you can read the story of Genesis, and you can see Adam appear, and you can see that God made him and created him in his own image, which is a really cool thing. And, and that actually gets, gets passed on to us. We get to be created in God's image. And, and he made a garden and all of this. And you read that story, it doesn't take you very long to realize that Adam, though set up for success in many, many ways, ended up failing and his descendants ended up failing, and failure and sin and death largely became the story of that first world. Look around you. Read the bulletin. Read the news, and you'll realize that death is a part of our story very, very much. Um, The pain and the mourning and the grief and the agony of death is something with which we can all be acquainted because we live in this world of sin and death. But there's another world, And it's a world that God has in store. And it's a world that God has promised. And it's a world that has a new Adam. And it's a world where there is no sin and death and decay. It's a world where your bodies don't grow old and weary and die. It's a world where you don't have to worry about losing a loved one. It's a world where there is eternal life and eternal joy and eternal goodness. And there is still a world and there's still hope and there's still things to be done. But it's a world where your hope isn't stolen by an enemy like death. And there's a new Adam there. And that's the resurrected Jesus. Jesus, when he came out of that tomb, he did not come back in this old world to die again. He came back in this world. He came back in that other world. He came back where part of his life is now our hope for our future. So when you talk about the resurrection, uh, the Greeks, they thought it was a foolish idea. They laughed at it. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, Jews, it was controversial. You can take the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but the the Pharisees, for the most part, did believe in the resurrection. But here's what they thought about it. They thought the resurrection was something that at the end of time would happen and all righteous people would be able to be raised up and to live with God. That's kind of what their view was. None of those groups, whether you're talking about Essenes or Sadducees or Pharisees or the Greeks or the Romans, none of them believed that there was going to be one man who came and started that final resurrection early, before everyone else. No one thought that there was going to be one guy who was like the first fruits of a harvest that would come much later. That's the way Paul describes it. He says one resurrection happened, and it was that final resurrection, but it happened out of time. It happened way early. Why, why did that happen? It's because, you ever seen a Venn diagram? Uh, these two worlds that I've been describing, with the resurrection of Jesus, they kind of overlap in some ways, where it's like that second world has started while we're still in this first world. And we find ourselves living in that gap in the middle, uh, being a resurrection people, having the hope of a resurrection, while ourselves, in some ways, like through baptism, reenacting that resurrection and being raised up with Christ, but still longing for and looking for and hoping for that future world. And that's why when you look at the world around us, you can see these glimpses 
through Jesus and through what he has done and through his teaching. And when we embody it, you can see these glimpses of the divine. And you can see these glimpses of the hope that we have of an age to come. And you can see these, these glimpses of what eternity has in store for us. But you can also look around you and you can still see the pain and the death and the misery of that old world. It's kind of like the parable Jesus tells where the wheat and the, and the weeds or the tares, they grow up together. And you want to go and remove them, but if you do that, you'll end up destroying the wheat. So you wait it out and there will be a final separation of these things. Jesus, through his resurrection, it wasn't just one of the other many miracles in this world over here. Worlds collided in the resurrection of Jesus, and a whole new world was started. And that's the message of the book of Acts. He's saying this is a world not just for Jews. This is a message for the whole world. That's why Paul's going to go on these missionary journeys. That's why he'll suffer and die, because there's really good news. A new world has started, and it's not like what you're used to. You're still going to see a lot of the pain that you have, but you know that that is vanishing away, and something brighter is coming on the horizon. That's the resurrection of Jesus. And it becomes central to the letters of the New Testament and to the teaching and preaching of the, the Bible as we, as we continue to read it. Just take, for example, the book of Acts. Resurrection is central to understanding the book of Acts, which we've been studying. Um, it begins with the resurrection. It's like, read the first verses of the book. It introduces the story to follow by the resurrected Lord Jesus and his appearance. He's with his disciples. He's talking with them in his resurrected body. Like, it begins with them seeing him and talking with him and him ascending. He actually returns several times throughout it also. He appears to, to Saul and changes his whole world. Saul has a crash course experience in a new world coming on the road to Damascus. But then you can just read through, just, just read the book of Acts and pay attention to every sermon or trial. There's quite a few trials in, in Acts too. Sometimes they're on trial for causing a disturbance or healing someone or causing some disruption in some Roman city or something like that. But uh, then a Paul eventually gets arrested and, and he stands trial. But when you read through Acts 2, day of Pentecost, that sermon leads to the resurrection. Acts 3, after they heal some guy at the temple, that leads to telling about the resurrection. Acts 4, they're on trial for what they did at the temple. That leads to them talking about the resurrection. Acts 10, this is the gospel being proclaimed to the Gentiles. Guess what? Leads to telling them about the resurrection. Acts 13, you have Paul in Pisidian Antioch going to a synagogue. Talks about the resurrection. Acts 17, his custom, go to Thessalonica. Talk about the resurrection. Acts 17, uh, 30 through 31, he's in Athens with the philosophers of the age who are all there listening to this new guy bringing this new idea. And guess what that idea is? Resurrection. Uh, Acts 22, he's arrested and he's standing uh, before, before the Jews facing trial for resurrection. You keep reading, and whether it's Jewish trials or trials before uh, Felix or Festus or Agrippa or these different kings that he has to appear before, Guess what each of those trials and each of those scenes lead to? Resurrection. Why does it reoccur so much? Why, why does it occur more than walking on water? Because it's, a, it's a, not any ordinary miracle. Like No miracle is ordinary, and resurrection is beyond it. Resurrection changed the world. It changes who we are. It changes our entire hope. It changes the reality of who is truly the king of this world. If you were to ask... Your standard Roman citizen, who's the king? They'd say, well, Caesar. They'd say, look to Rome or something like that. But those who know about the resurrection can give you a very different answer. The king remains king 
forevermore, never to die again. King of a kingdom that is beyond borders, that, that, that uh, goes throughout the whole world. Languages are not a barrier to this king, and borders are not a barrier to this king, and militaries cannot defeat this king. He's a king who rises above any enemy this world can throw, even the enemy of death. Think about that. How does Rome get their power? They use death to get their power. They conquer their enemies. They destroy their enemies. Think about any worldly kingdom and the origin story. Think about the, 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 how they gained independence or how they became an independent nation. What generally is the story? It's going to be a story of death. We, we killed people, and so now we get to, to be our people because we, we killed them better than they could kill us. That's the story of mankind. But the kingdom of God has a very different story. The one who was killed becomes the one who is king because even death, even the worst thing that another kingdom could throw at him, even the cross itself doesn't stop our king. He's king forevermore. In Acts chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there. This is Paul in Athens. We talked about this, less, uh, this, uh, this passage last week. And there's something I wanted to focus on just a little bit more as we, as we continue to discuss. But Acts chapter 17, right at the end of Paul's sermon. So Paul goes to Athens, right? This is the, the, like the hub of the academic world. This is where the intelligentsia of mankind gather together to discuss their new ideas. These are the philosophers. These are the, the children of Plato and Aristotle. And, and you, I mean, you have Stoic philosophers. You have Epicurean philosophers. You have the people who pride themselves on their intellect and who enjoy nothing more than hearing new ideas espoused and batting them around and critiquing them. And like, this is what they do. And they get some foreign idol babbler, they call him. Some guy from, you know, backwoods Jerusalem up here. And he's going to tell us about uh, these, these new ideas about a new divinity and resurrection and all of that. And so Paul, who actually isn't a dummy, uh, he gets this opportunity. And he's going to stand before them. And he's going to proclaim to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He does it so in incredible ways. He uses uh, like their own poets to cite as he's going through this. He uses their own idols as an introduction to kind of warm them up to the message he's about to proclaim. But eventually that message gets to resurrection. They're cool with talking about their idols. They're fine with even talking about the temples. They can understand the concept of a grand God who's above everything. But when you get to resurrection, that's going to be hard for them to digest. In fact, when he mentions it, you can see in verse 32, it says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Here's what happens. They kind of chuckle at the foolish guy who's trying to get them to believe in resurrection. We live in a world that is in a lot of ways skeptical of the supernatural. Uh, we live in a world that is skeptical about miracles and things like that. Uh, and uh, we are a post-enlightenment society. And so if you ground your understanding of Jesus just on some of his like ideas... I think you could have better success at teaching people the gospel. If you just try to get them to believe, hey, it's a good thing to love your neighbor as yourself, there are going to be people who are like, okay, I can go along with that. One of the struggles of Christianity is that it's not just grounded on the teachings of Jesus, but it is also grounded on the identity of Jesus, which is 
demonstrated through resurrection. That's why we listen to him, because he, who, who he is, right? Um, and so if you live in a world where people like, have a hard time believing in resurrection, it's going to be a hard sell to teach them Jesus. But if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever personally had a hard time believing the idea of resurrection from the dead, you're not alone. Um, sometimes we tend to think that everyone who lived before us, they were just a bunch of ignorant people who didn't understand that, uh, that dead people stay dead. But I promise you, they knew that. Um, people understood the heartbreak of losing a loved one, even in the ancient world, because they understood that that's, that's a final goodbye. Uh, you lose someone and they're not going to be at dinner next Tuesday. They're gone. They're gone from your life. And there were ideas, certainly, that were comforting. For example, if you, in Greek ideology, in, in the writings of Plato, you, you see that there is the idea of the immortality of the soul. Like, your internal essence, who you are, in some way continues to remain and live on in, in, in a disembodied spiritual existence. And that's something that can provide hope. But that's not actually, and sometimes we kind of think of that as the Christian hope, but that's not actually the way the Bible presents our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is not the soul leaving the body. That's what death is. <laughs> and our hope is not death. Our hope is what happens after death, that there's actually life again. And that means the body comes back. The body begins to live again. And so when Paul teaches that, you have people with these ideas, and they think, well, that's absurd. Like, look around you. How many people do you know who have died, and how many of them do you see walking around? That's not something that happens. And so some pretty much immediately dismiss the idea of this is absurd. Um, even in Judaism, where the idea of resurrection wasn't completely dismissed, again, it was not something that anyone thought was going to happen in the middle of time. That was supposed to happen at the end of time. So it's like this message that's being preached is an entirely new message. And it's one that no matter who you are, Greek, Sadducee, Pharisee, whatever, you're going to have a hard time accepting it. And yet this is the message that Christians go to proclaim. Why? It's not because they invented it. If you're going to invent the message, you invent an easier pill to swallow. You invent one that's going to be a little bit more palatable to your audience. They are preaching about the hardest message they can preach. Hey, you know the Messiah and King of the world? The Romans crucified him. Hey, you know how you don't believe in resurrection? Well, guess what? Like, that's, if you're going to invent a message, that's not the one you invent. That, that's the one that everyone's going to reject. Why would people go around not only saying it, but believing it and dying for it? because it seems to have happened. That's why 2,000 years later we're still talking about it. Something really incredible actually happened. So you could sneer and you can mock, or you could say, and this is what others say in the rest of verse 32, but others said, we will hear you again concerning this. All right, this is weird, and this is hard to accept, but let me hear you out. Why are you saying this? Because remember, if you're talking about ideas that could be proven wrong, Resurrections, like especially if you're talking about one guy who was publicly crucified and buried in Jerusalem, you can pretty easily prove that wrong if he wasn't raised. One thing you can do is go to the tomb and remove that big old rock and look. If there's a body in there, you're right and they're wrong. I mean, you, there, there's a lot of things that you could do to demonstrate that a resurrection didn't happen. And yet, 
everyone seems to accept the idea that the tomb was empty and that a lot of people are going around and saying that they have seen him. In fact, they seem so committed to that idea that they will suffer and die for that idea. And so some, even though they have not even seen the resurrected Lord Jesus, some Athenians of all people, says in verse 34, but some men joined, uh, joined him and believed. And then it actually mentions a couple of them. Some people actually come to believe in the resurrection. And when you come to believe in the resurrection, that changes everything. As you read through Acts, you get this idea that Jesus is absent in one sense. Like he ascended and you don't see him on, on every page. But there's this other sense uh, you get where Jesus is overwhelmingly present on every page uh, that you read. Um, and I can't help but think that as a resurrection people, we can feel that deeply where we are. We can feel the absence of Jesus. We, he's not sitting here with us. But at the same time, Jesus is in some ways very real and very present with us. It's because he continues to live on with us. How do we come to experience the presence of Jesus even when we don't see him? I think it's interesting some of the way that the early church does in Acts. Uh, as you read through it, the Holy Spirit's presence among the people is in a very real way a reminder and an experience of the presence of Jesus among the people. Um, when the Holy Spirit guides and when the Holy Spirit uh, instructs and when the Holy Spirit is there with them throughout the book of Acts, there's even one passage where Paul is trying to figure out where he's going to go and we're told the Holy Spirit didn't want him to go one place and then we're told the Spirit of Jesus didn't want him to go another place and you see this He's actually called the Spirit of Jesus. And like this in, intimate connection between Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God uh, throughout the life of the church. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is one way that we experience the presence of Jesus today. Another way is through the words of Jesus. Um, the church continued to teach and to live out the message of Jesus. Through the words that the, G, that the, the church was speaking, Jesus was still speaking. Uh, and so a lot of times in Acts, you'll even see people say things like, and they became obedient to the word, or they believed in the word, or they accepted his word. And a lot of times those phrases about what they do to the word is another way of talking about what they are doing to, the, to Jesus himself. They accepting Jesus, or they are obeying Jesus, or they are receiving Jesus. Uh, the word ends up in a lot of ways becoming um, the, the way in which Jesus continues to experience presence among his people. Uh, the life of the church is also another way that Jesus is still experienced. You remember when Paul is persecuting the church and he says, uh, Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? It's like Paul could easily say, you, I haven't even seen you before. You know, like, what? I'm not doing anything to you. I'm doing stuff to these people. Uh, but Jesus seems to be the, of the idea that whatever you're doing to his people, you're doing to him also. Because one way that he continues to live on is through his people. In fact, you can see it over and over again. You can see it in uh, you know, when, when Jesus is dying on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And when Stephen is being stoned, he says, Father, do not hold the sin against them. Uh, you can see that they are taking who Jesus was and what he did and are now embodying it so that Jesus continues through the church. You also see it in the fact that they bring his name with them wherever they go. I mean, I have, I have in orange highlighted in my Bible throughout the book of Acts the phrase, uh, the name of Jesus. And you know what I see on like every single page that I turn? 
orange coming up off the page because the name of Jesus is constantly with them everywhere they go. I think we are a people of hope in the resurrection and a people who believe in the resurrection. And if you're not, become one today. You can be, be a person who lives a new resurrection life today. But also we're a people who live in a world where that old world hasn't entirely gone away yet. It's like we're in the new and hopeful of the new and ready for the new and experiencing in some ways the new, but we still feel that old world. And here's what I want to encourage each of us to do. Continue to live with the presence of Jesus in your life through the Holy Spirit, through the words of Jesus that we have in the Bible. Make those your words and part of your life through the life of the church, by being connected to his body. It's not an accident that the Bible uses words like the body of Christ to describe the church, because the body of Christ isn't entirely gone. It's actually right here among us, and you can be a part of it, and you can experience it. And bring the name of Jesus with you. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bring Jesus with you throughout your life. So as we bring our lesson to a close, here's the challenge. Remember the presence of the living, resurrected Lord Jesus in all that you do and live for him daily as he lives for you. Jesus didn't just die for you. He lives for you each and every day because death does not hold him. The resurrection of Jesus didn't just change Easter Sunday. And it didn't just change the first day of the week. It changed every day forevermore. We're in a whole new world. And so let's live as people of a new world. And if we can help you do that, if we can help you be buried with Christ and raised up with him to live a new life in baptism this morning, we pray that you would let that be known. You can come to the front of the church and, and we'd love to help you. You can go talk to some of our elders in the library in the back. If you need the prayers of the church, we want to be here to help. Please let it be known and come while we stand and as we sing.